Welcome to Happy Times and Places, a positively inclined Doctor Who episode commentary podcast in which I, Toby Haydock, try to highlight my favourite things about an episode of Doctor Who and see if they are the same as my special guest's favourite things. And my special guest has nominated the story. Hello, uh, my name's Stephen Hatcher. Uh, I'm the uh, coordinator of the Hoover's Doctor Who group based in Derby. And for the last 11 years, uh, I've been the organiser of the Hooverville Convention. And I'm also the fiction editor of the uh, Doctor Appreciation Society magazine, Cosmic Mask. Well, thanks so much to Toby for inviting me to, uh, to, to suggest a story for him to talk about. Toby, what I've got for you is the Sea Devils. Well, welcome everybody. The sun is in the sky. There's not a cloud rolling by. It's a beautiful blue sky. And Mr. Blue Sky heralds the first happy times and places to be recorded in the wake of the announcement of the 14th Doctor Who, Shuti Gatwa, uh, whose work I do not know particularly. No, I don't. I don't, not even particularly. Um, I, I, I've not seen Sex Education. Um, and so, but I've obviously been hoovering up clips uh, and interviews and all sorts of things uh, and pictures, uh, and he looks amazing. But I, as I spend most of my life, I'm rooted firmly in the past. So I mention that merely for context because. Uh, patrons listening to this this news will be relatively fresh uh, those of you that listen via iTunes um, who are a little bit behind because I like to give patrons a chronological advantage uh, this be old news he's, he's probably, prob- you've probably got the 15th doctor by now um, no this, uh, you're usually about six months behind so um, probably uh, maybe just said goodbye to Jodie Whittaker and uh, seeing lots of tantalizing pictures but here the news is is uh, uh, is is you know fresh up Fresh off the press release, the, the ink is still wet. Um, should uh, should anybody be using an old-fashioned means of disseminating information? However, um, uh, the ink is well dried on anything that has been said about the sea devils. So let's see if I can find something new, or at least something similar to that found by Steve Hatcher, who you heard there, my guest who has chosen the sea devils to watch along with me so before we start i shall say alexa volume three uh because uh i don't want to wake up the uh, the entire house on this uh sunday afternoon um oh there's a there's a blue tit sitting on a we've got a little bench hanging off the tree outside i do like that the sun is shining it feels good there's a new doctor in the air that's always exciting doctor is about renewal and regeneration yesterday was quite sad but well very sad because a dear friend of mine from the Doctor Who world, Anthony, uh, uh, who uh, who did Happy Times and Places, chose Time and the Rani and did so with much enthusiasm, uh, passed away. So yesterday was very sad. Uh, today, you know, feels like being reborn in a way. And that's what life is all about. And sometimes Doctor Who uh, very much demonstrates that to us. So... Um, I hope the sun is shining where you are whenever you are listening to this. Hopefully Alexa is not going to ball the house down and ruin the peace of this sunny afternoon here in Chorlton. Bernard's having a snooze. Chez is poorly upstairs. I'm going to watch part four of The Sea Devils in three, 
two, one. Uh, so here we go. Let's see. I've, well, I've pressed watch from the beginning. What's What feels like hours ago. It's taking a while. Uh, oh, <laughs> and it's now playing This Is Us for some reason, which Shirley was watching last night. Ah, here we go. Right, my, <laughs> my whatever it is I watch this on, I don't know what it is, Shirley bought it, um, decided to play the end of a programme called This Is Us, which is what Shirley watches, which seems to me about being sad and learning. Uh, and uh, I'm watching Doctor Who, which is about being exciting and full of jeopardy and daring do and not a small amount of fun. Uh, and that is the difference between my partner and I. Um, so here we have uh, the glory of it's just something as simple as this, because um, these were the sorts of images that there were pictures of when I was a kid of this uh, of this story. It seemed very much about, you know, the, the, the sea devils rising from the deep. I remember um, Doctor Who magazine when it, it ran out of or it was worried about running out of archive features. I think it was on its nostalgia feature that it did about the, the sea devils, which was just another different way of looking at the story. It did a sort of composite where it had the six sea devils rising from the sea, but it sort of, you know, it multiplied them as you do now, probably with um, uh, some sort of computer technology, you know, and you've got like 10 Ood and you want to show 30, uh, you just have the same 10 you know over and over again uh this was a bit more of a primitive version of that but i remember it being such a striking thing to have going along uh the bottom of the the, the a double spread in doctor who magazine and i remember thinking oh so that's a really clever thing to do um but we're not at that scene yet this is the this is the prelude to that where we only see one sea devil uh there he is uh pat gorman is the credited sea devil uh and he was a legend in in the world of Doctor Who. Uh, I don't know if he actually played the one coming out of the sea, because uh, he wasn't a stunt man. He's often written up as a stunt man. He's he wasn't a stunt man. He was an extra. Uh, uh, he was never a member of Havoc or anything like that. Um, but he's yeah he's he's certainly uh, he's certainly the one on the beach doing all of this stuff. Um, he probably was the one rising out of the sea. Uh, he just went, off you go, Pat. Jump in. Um, and I, I remember, uh, it's, it's funny, I got very cross with the sonic screwdriver in Latter Day Who when it could, you know, mend barbed wire and uh, teach you how to do the Macarena and speak Esperanto. Um, yet I've always quite liked it being a uh, Pertwee brandishing it with his leather gloves, uh, and uh, and blowing up mines or igniting marsh gash. I don't know, it just seemed a, a really Doctor Who-y thing to do. I always feel sorry for that Dead Sea girl. That's, I mean, I'm assuming that's some sort of set dressing. Has anyone ever cross, come across a minefield on a beach? Um, I mean, I'm pres presumably it's part of the the master's security, but I'm. Uh, it, it would have to be a sort of cut-off part of the beach. I don't recall ever going on holiday and mum going, yeah, yeah, um, you know, you go get an ice cream there. Don't go over the sand dunes because you'll be out of my vision. And uh, by the way, don't go too far to the left. There's a minefield. I love this. I remember this being a clip on the Resistance's Useless documentary, which really annoyed me because it, um, it was a bit, you know, it took, took the mickey out of Doctor Who, which, uh, you know, the BBC enjoyed doing for far too long. Still do occasionally. Um, I think if you're doing a documentary celebrating a programme, don't talk about um, how the production team are 
you know, proud of the special effects they pulled off on a limited budget and then show special effects that aren't particularly good and the production team weren't happy with at the time. But that's uh, that's just one of my hills that I'll die on. But I, but I remember love, they had a few clips from the Sea Devils for some reason. Maybe it was because the Sea Devils was part of the repeat season that um, didn't get great viewing figures, maybe because it had been preceded by a documentary that took the mickey. I don't know. I don't, should we ask Gerald Ratner? Um, but anyway... Um, I get to I get a bit serious, don't I? Um, but I love the I love the, the 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 cry that the sea devil does that sort of alien caterwaul that it has. Uh, and this is Colin Bell. Now Colin Bell is a lovely, fresh-faced actor uh, who, again, is one of those that you know pops up a bit later. He's in Invasion of the Dinosaurs, and like Christopher Ray, you know, he 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 pops in playing small parts for for different directors so you sort of think oh i must have just been sort of part of the furniture but his appearance in invasion of the dinosaurs he sort of takes over a part halfway through his his part in this becomes slightly redundant because he's all he's all geared up to go and make his escape and he's he's in the sort of scuba gear isn't he uh, there he is colin bell um uh and, and actually doesn't make it to do that part of the story um so you sort of wonder what what his character's sort of all about, but he does he does get a, he gets to play cards next week. I love that melting of the door. The set does wobble. That's one of the the, the few wobbly sets in Doctor Who. Set does wobble as the uh, as the sea devil comes through, and I love all those close ups of the sailors. I love the the fact they've got those Sten guns, and that's all sort of adventurous stuff for me that I loved. Um, and you know the boldness of going for the close up of the the sea devil's eye, but I love. I love that effect of the the melting door. It's just a polystyrene with acid poured on it, basically, isn't it? Um, uh, and yeah, Colin, Colin Bell as uh, Chief Petty Officer Summers. Uh, yeah, he turns up in Invasion of the Dinosaurs as Private Bryson, who takes over halfway through because there's a character called Private Ogden, who you you assume i think you know was supposed to be in the the later episodes but isn't and so they have this private bryson instead who uh who then uh sort of takes over the, you know and and private ogden is played by george bryson so I, I think colin bell was called in at the last minute to play what would have been private ogden so they named him private bryson uh, 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 to to reflect the actor that was no longer available but then there's a corporal bryson in uh in, in uh, 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 oh no, there's Corporal Palmer. There is a. Oh no, it's Corporal Bryson in the in the uh, in the book in the book of Invasion of the Dinosaurs. Anyway, um, but uh, yeah. So and and Colin Colin Bell also is uh, the voice of Barty in During Barty's Party, f a famous Nigel Neal Beasts play uh, where a, a, a couple. Uh, um, can hear rats beneath them, and the only contact they have with the outside world is a radio phone-in. And Colin Bell is the is is Barty. You don't see him, but he's an important sort of. He's their their, their contact with the real world, and it's a superb piece of work. Anthony Bate and Elizabeth Sellers as this this couple besieged by rats, but loads of great uh, actors who are just voices off, like John Rhys Davis and uh, and yeah, Colin Bell. Um, and Colin was sadly listed as deceased, to, to passed away in Doc Two magazine in in the in the mid nineties. And I thought, oh gosh, that's very young and very sad. And uh, Doctor Who magazine is always you know very very good at uh, getting those obituaries correct and letting us know uh, that that uh, you know some of our 
you know, some of the people who've entertained us in the past are no longer with us. Uh, and I love the Sea Devil being here with the with the submarine crew. It's it's that Yeti on the loo in Tooting Beck, isn't it? You know, the Sea Devil with the the, the lieutenant going, "All right, old man," uh, sure, and and sort of you know the press the, the, and and the fact that they know they're 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 slightly conning the Sea Devil here while they go and have a private chat. Um, I, I love all that, and the, and the fact that they're sort of very British officer types uh, is to me even more of an um, an amusing juxtaposition. Uh, oh, bit of Sumter eye action going on there, um, uh, and so yes, so so poor old Colin Bell, who who seemed you know very very young, um, but I never was quite sure of the 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 dates because it said he'd been born whenever it said he'd been born made me think that means he's 40 when he's in doctor and i'm I'm not quite sure of that but uh, you know i found nothing to contradict that uh and uh but i'd I'd had a little healthy skepticism anyway the good news everybody and i i suppose i should uh get in touch uh, with the uh, the BBC people before uh, any production notes are written for Invasion of the Dinosaurs or the Sea Devils, Colin Bell is still with us. And in fact, thanks to a Facebook friend of mine called Craig Brawley, who just dropped a line and said, my mate works with a bloke who said he was in Doctor Who once. And I went, yeah, all right, let's, tr- let's try it. Who's this? Colin Bell. Uh, turns out to be uh, totally alive. Those dates are wrong. Uh, and so for patrons... Um, you will not, uh, as my next release, get episode five of The Sea Devils. Uh, you will get an exclusive interview with Colin Bell. Uh, so isn't that delightful? And John Pert was doing uh, lots of sound. The thing that doesn't quite work for me in that scene is that is that the doctor's being a bit ignorant because he's, you know, well into eating the sandwiches. I don't believe that Jane, who's brought them in for poor old joe would would then take one for herself because she now of course offers to go and get some more sandwiches um which is very sweet of her but i i still think it's very funny um i mean john put was doctor is in many ways awful but i don't know he kind of gets away with it i don't know why i it's it's almost like you can you can dress well and have a have a have a bit of a a sort of uh, or, or you know, carry yourself off with a bit of elan uh, and have enormous amounts of self-confidence and you can kind of get away with being a swine. Um, but, you know, Joe does get her sandwiches, so it's it's low-key. Um, so, yes, I'm delighted that Colin uh, Bell is, uh, is still with us. Um, and thanks to Craig. And isn't that a lovely coincidence that just, you know, a Facebook friend? And I did, but but the friend of the friend initially gave me the wrong email address it was quite similar to the one that turned out to be the right one so i emailed this other colin uh who didn't reply and then craig said colin said he definitely wants to do it so i tried again and got a basically f off uh and i was like oh now because i hate phoning and emailing people unsolicited at the best times but i'd be told this guy was up for it um and then it it actually turns out uh, that i'd emailed the wrong person but you know uh, brickbats to the person th- th- where the email said, uh, uh, "I know I like your performances in Doctor Who, and I understand you. You're happy to do an interview." To to not go, oh, I'm so sorry, you've got the wrong person. <laughs> do you know what I mean? That would have made life a lot easier. Other Colin, um, but I got to Colin Bell in the end. But this is the reason I don't like asking people for interviews because it's fraught with danger. Um, I'm aware I haven't talked a lot about the Sea Devils episode four, which has much to recommend it. Top sandwich comedy action. Uh, 
lovely reactions here from Clive Morton, where he sort of realizes uh, the game is up um, and that he's been he's been duped by the master. And I, I might last as a little machine. Um, and he's such a suave swine, isn't he? Um, but um, that's a lovely reaction from. Uh, from 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 Clive Morton, who you know, and this is a nice, this is an uh, it's a nice development for Trenchard that, you know, we uh, he he gets some form of redemption, which of course brings us to uh, Trenchard's uh, safety catch, which is one of the best bits in the book, is that Trenchard you know puffs himself up and and believes you know he's 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 being very brave and and doing the right thing and standing up for all, and all those things that he desperately wanted to be uh and uh and then he goes out to face down the invading sea devils and here they are killing all the mustache men uh and uh, I think they're such a great design, the Sea Devils. And there's something very exciting about seeing them storming the castle. You know, albeit in, in a limited BBC studio kind of way. Um, oh, and I th and I think I, I think the phone call that Trenchard makes as well is a little bit because he's not that important. He doesn't quite get through. That's almost quite touching as well in the book. I can't quite remember, but I'm sure there's an element of that to it as well, where he gets some slightly sort of patronising young woman at the end, the, the other end of the line, who doesn't really know who he is. Uh, and so you know, yeah, he has to go and that's see, that's great. Very economical. Telephone thrown to the ground and a body hits the deck. Um, I, I'm sure these days you would probably um, choreograph the sea devil slightly more. There's, there's the occasional one that does look like a, an extra you've jammed into a rubber suit, whereas perhaps you'd get somebody with a bit more sort of movement experience these days. Um, but yes, in the book, uh, Trenchard does what he's doing here. Is he, you know, he gets his gun out and goes to do the brave thing, um, except uh, only at the last minute when he goes to fire upon the sea devils. His last thought. Oh, it's such a bitterly brilliant bit in the book. So I remember it. I've read the book once and I read it when I was about whatever, 10. Um, he remembers he's left the safety catch on. And then you'd think that was the end of it. But then when Captain Hart finds him dead, he, 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 he rectifies that before anybody else notices, which is so beautiful. I love, you know, that, that can only work in these sorts of circumstances. Uh, and I love it. Uh, so lots of the, so the village people are all getting killed here. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, the village sentinels. Um, they killed most of that. So I'm I'm assuming because uh, yes, Stanley McGee was a was a guard in Colony in Space who also got killed. So uh, I'm, I'm assuming yeah. So he goes to use the phone, but I'm ass I shall attend to the security of my prisoner. I love that. The, the sort of dignity within that and the way that he holds the gun like that. And uh, and I remember waiting for... Uh, I've been quite surprised when I watched this for the first time. I go, oh, the gun's firing. Go, oh, no, it's not. That's only in the book. Um, but this is still... This is good in a different way. You only know that absence if you've read the book. There's nothing wrong with what happens here which is actually brilliantly done that's very sad that's a great shot as well uh that you know goes through the the sea devils of 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 him dead on the floor and the, the master not even sparing him a glance oh for all his suaveness he's a nasty piece of work isn't he um 
Uh, oh, yes. And um, of course, we've got the submarine in this episode, which, uh, uh, it, it, you know, the, the, the story had been all oh, the Ministry of Defence were a little bit uh, concerned that the, uh, the submarine actually looked like the top secret plans for a submarine that they had. Uh, but it was only Russell McPhillips' brilliant delving. That went, but yeah, and actually two guys turned up at the BBC and interrogated everybody because they put on a smaller propeller because I think the propeller they were going to use looked looked a bit that had come with the model or that they'd bought or whatever um, looked a bit wrong. So Peter Day and, and Michael Bryant made a sort of educated guess as to what it might look like. And it was a little bit too educated for, for national security not to actually just double check they hadn't been up to no good. So a uh, brilliant article by Rosser. And I like the way that something that we knew as a couple of lines in Law, you know, um, oh, they got into a little bit of trouble for the submarine, uh, is actually broken down and, and, and explained what happened. And that was in Doctor Who magazine not too long ago. Great stuff. Um, what was uh, So, yes, they do at least sort of have a little look at the character of Trenchard on, on his death scene. It's not, you know, it's not as, as, as sort of bittersweet a little, uh, a, a little moment like the, you know, accidentally the accidental uh, forgetting of removing the safety catch. But, you know, there's a nod to, you know, why Trenchard did what he did and, you know, he was patriotic and, and how patriotism can be used, you know, as a tool against those. It can be used as a very powerful tool. As I say, I've got a bit older now and, you know, can also see the, the positives that can be drawn from it. But uh, I am drawn to the idea that something that is, you know, seen as... Uh, you know, a great strength can be turned into a weapon against somebody, like anything, if you're too zealous about anything. Except Doctor Who. One cannot be too zealous about Doctor Who. I'm sure one can. Um, yeah, so this is the sort of thing that um, I suppose my grumpy Doctor Who fan I was uh, I was quoting last episode would say, oh, advert for the Royal Navy. Well, no, I mean, that's, that's just... I, I, I think that's just very much uh, being at sea and emptying your glass... At least half half of it overboard, just so that you've got a half-empty glass. Um, this this all looks great, and it's really giddy as well. You can tell the cameras in the boat. They've, they've made no attempt to steady the camera. I think you would now, uh, but actually, I, I quite like the fact that you know it shows it for what it is. It gives a real, it gives that that real sense of. Uh, of just how rough this is. I remember going on a sort of pedalo thing with the, the kids in, in in Italy, and they had got those sea break things, and it was lovely. And we went, well, should we go a bit further out? And we went round those, and you realised, oh no, they're there for a reason. And suddenly it was, you know, and it was, and we weren't that far out, but it was genuinely frightening. And it just goes to show how powerful the sea is. And I think that's, uh, and, I, and I remember when I was touring my my Doctor Who scarf, I went to. Lytham St Anne's was it somewhere like that and I was on the coast and it was quite a heady time for me and I was going through some sort of personal turmoil and stuff and I sat on the beach and the sea was crashing in and I could feel the elements and I'm not but you know I've never lived by the sea and I and I found something about being exposed to that sheer raw power of nature really sort of quite profound and invigorating and there is something about the, the power of nature that we uh, that we underestimated our peril and the, and that you know the, and that's what gives the sea having the sea featured so heavily in a doctor I think is quite exciting and especially you know as I say that that camera was bobbing about and and you know you can you can feel the coldness in the air because because the the wind is blowing and it's sort of stark and it's you know you can feel the elements I I love all of that I think that gives it a, this this story a real 
you know you know you can smell the salt air and the fact that you know the the doctor's there and this is a genuine piece of equipment and you know the fact that it's a, a sequence on film makes it feel just that little bit more real uh, and and the fact that all of these all of these uh, all of these guys are the real deal this is your actual navy and i love all of that um and and i like the idea that uh, you know, you know they they all had doctor who come to visit and i like that in the in the uh, documentary for this they they interviewed a couple of the sailors didn't they and i i love that when they you know again when when we uh when we go beyond the bounds of uh, of the usual people who tell you know the sort of stories that we come to expect i think it's lovely when we we see how doctor who sort of invades even if only for a couple of weeks invades the life of somebody else um i'm i am yeah, really feeling this has always been a a fine story for me fine story yes sea devils it's fine it's not it's not a season seven you know they're the they're the top rank of the poet uh i'm thoroughly enjoying this uh really enjoyed watching it and i think uh i've i've really come to understand what people love about the pertwee era um which as i say i was I, i've always you know enjoyed but uh i've it's never it's rarely made me do somersaults of joy but uh revisiting curse of peladon and now this um an era I thought of as being quite samey. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually really getting, really getting very, very into. Um, and, I, and and my my average scores for these Pertwee stories would probably go up a couple of couple of notches. I would say, look at that. That's a fantastic shot. The sea devil peering through the uh, the whatever that thing's called. The hole. What's it called? The uh, porthole. Porthole. It's a porthole. Yeah, porthole. Uh, let's not get into that. It's, it's not a Stradivarius. <laughs> um, and and we have another all-time great uh, cliffhanger coming up. Um, now I've got a. Now is Steve going to choose this cliffhanger? I would. I would sort of like to reserve the cliffhangers for my bonus thing because I think they're all pretty special. Um. But this one is really, this one is particularly good because, you know, when you read about it in Doctor Who magazine, it sort of says, um, you know, in the archives, you know, Joe looks in and the Doctor isn't there. That's not actually what happens in this cliffhanger. Joe looks in and we get a close up of her shocked looking face. So we kind of know that that means the Doctor isn't there, but it could mean that his remains are splattered along the, uh, along the roof, you know, uh, because it is unsaid. Uh, and Captain Hart comes out and his face is, you know, grim, uh, impassive and grim. And, he, you know, he looks to try and reassure her. I think that's that's lovely because it's all unspoken and it's all sort of unmelodramatic. Uh, but no, it's not that the Doctor's not there. Although you can sort of tell it's that it, it's not explicit about what the problem is. Fantastic. I love that cliffhanger. And Katie Manning's so wonderful. Um, so it is a great cliffhanger. Uh, however, I am hoping a uh, next week's cliffhanger is good, but it's fine. It's not in the same league as the others. But I'm hoping that uh, 
he doesn't choose it because I would like the cliffhangers to be my bonus thing. Colin Bell, talking of bonus things, who will be interviewed for... I don't know what I'm doing with the interviews uh, outside of uh, uh, Patronsville, um, but I reserve the right to, to pop things out there first because they're who keep me going and enable me to do this uh, on a Sunday afternoon when perhaps I should be, uh, you know, trying to trying to prostitute myself out for paid work which i need some of but uh, the patrons keep me ticking over which i'm very grateful for i try not to plug it plug it too often because i think that's unseemly but uh, it is a fact of life uh the, the, these are uh, you know I've, i resist the temptation to to have adverts or anything like that um but i am very grateful to the patrons who keep me going right because i am a self-employed artist which means i'm uh, generally a, an unemployed layabout um so what is my favorite thing about episode four well i i do like trenchard's uh trenchard's last stand but we did have trenchard in the uh in the previous in episode two i do like i love the sea devil on the submarine i love the sea devil burning through the door i like that whole scene that's real doctor who meat and drink to me but then i like the sea devil standing over the map and the two officers going yeah all right old chap we'll take you <laughs> i love the sea devil and the minefield i love the sea devil rising out of the sea perhaps it's the design of the sea devils that i like because he's got to choose that at some point and again if i get in there first i get the point uh, but it means, of course, I then don't get the point for whatever I choose for the episode where he chooses that. So it, you know, I'm I'm still I'm still in terrible trouble most of the time with this. But I think I think the sea devil works so well on all those different images coming out of the sea. Great in the minefield. It's a brilliant design, and I think the augmentation with the string vests actually really helps. The only thing is that sometimes I think they move a little bit a bit stiffly depending on you know who you've got in in the costume. Um, and I think that is something that, uh, you know, more attention is paid to, to these days, but that's, that's just the, the nature of these things. Um, I think it's a wonderful, wonderful design. Oh, we have that close up of the eye as well, don't we? It's a brilliant design. Um, and, uh, I mean, yeah, the eye doesn't move much, but then again, I've <laughs> just legend of the sea devils. The eye, did the eye move in that? Or did they just sort of, it's just almost like they poke the screen to make, to make them talk. Uh, you know the ones in the old days they couldn't talk should we change that no we'll just we'll just stick our finger on the i don't know siege whatever they did but uh, <laughs> anyway so and that's again that's uh trying to overcome uh difficulties with the technology available uh which is what doctor who is all about i'm going for the design of the sea devils and praying that steve hatcher doesn't go anywhere near my cliffhangers uh so what is steve hatcher chosen for episode for episode four, I've picked the minefield scene on the beach, which is one of those scenes that uh, is uh, forever turning up in clip shows and uh, and retrospectives. If if you if you see a clip from the Pertwee era of Doctor Who, it's quite likely to be this one. Um, we've got uh, the Master and the and Trenchard on the cliff top with the master's worry beepy machine uh, to summon the lone sea devil onto the land and the sea devil climbs out of the waves and uh, sort of pulls himself together and, and then immediately starts uh, setting about the castle guards and then 
having uh, looking around and finding Doctor and Joe and thinking, oh, I'll have a go at them next. I'll I'll have a shoot at them. Uh, the Doctor and Joe, of course, jump over the barbed wire and, and the Doctor pulls the sonic screwdriver out of his pocket uh, and explodes the mines to scare off the sea devil to send him scurrying back to the sea. Now, there's something that's always puzzled me about this. Now, the Doctor has just escaped from custody in the castle. Trenchard has been keeping him a prisoner. Um, and yet he's still got his sonic screwdriver in his pocket. Uh, did Trenchard and his guards not search him for, for useful things like that? Or did they just think, oh, it's nothing important and leave it there? So anyway, that very uh, iconic, I suppose, is, is, is an overused word. But there we are. That iconic scene. Very it's a beautiful scene to look at with the sea and the beach and the sea devil and blah, blah, blah. Tremendous. Episode four. Oh, so close. I mean, I nearly chose that, but then because I realised a lot of the other things I liked also featured the Sea Devils, and because I'm, sh- you know, the dis- surely the design of the Sea Devils will be chosen at some point. Uh, anyway, uh, I was close. We were we were singing from the same hymn sheet, but uh, I'd obviously got the lyrics upside down. <laughs> um, I'll accept that partially because I'm. St- just Jufty didn't choose the cliffhanger. Um, he better not choose a cliffhanger to episode five. Um, so, yeah, it's a it's a happy day. Um, uh, things are, uh, are about to get worse in the Sea Devils for Doctor Who, but um, I think that's a that's a cracking episode. Um, and that's the end of Trenchard. Clive Morton died only a couple of years later. Uh, he's a lovely character, and but yeah, go back to the book which I hope I haven't ruined for anybody, but uh, those, those lovely little augmentations. There is as much a part, if you were from my generation, the bits that happened in the books are as, as much of a part as the stories. And, and, and sometimes the stories are almost defined by their absence. And I think it's maybe taken me so long to get over some of the absences that were never there from the target books that are you know that 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 means that I've never been you know kind enough to a a story for what it is rather than what it isn't and uh, that's the joy of revisiting these I did have a bit of a renaissance with the sea devils when it was repeated in much better quality than I'd ever seen it and and I was you know able to see some of its uh, uh you know treasures pin sharp for the first time but uh, you know that was that that's relatively recently that 1992 repeat God, my God, that's 30 years ago. <gasps> so that that repeat is is longer ago than the story was when it was repeated. That is terrifying. Um, so, <laughs> my goodness. In fact, that repeat, that that repeat was was on before the man who's just been announced as Doctor Who was born. <laughs> oh, time travel is cruel when you can only do it in one direction. <laughs> oh, if only you could see the look on my face, listeners, because it would make for quite a cliffhanger. <laughs> Take care. Oh, look, I'm so grateful to you for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydock. And my special guest this time around is Steve Hatcher, who can be found on Twitter at StephenPH underscore Hatcher. I'm grateful to him and to the many patrons who make these podcasts possible. And they include Chris Bone, Matt Dale, Rob Dawson, Chris Davies, Hugh Davies, Robert Davies, Shanty Day, Ian Dean, Tim Dickinson, Drew, Paul Sykes, Andrew East. 
Andrew Egan, Mark Findlay-Smith, Paul Gibbons, David Gillespie, Charles Gears, Lisa Gledhill, Robin Groen, Paul J. Guest, Thomas Gerrier, Hammer House of Podcast, Susan Harrison, Steve Hatcher, oh yes, Steve, uh, Duncan Harvey, Ronald Hayden, Paul Hayes, Legion Henderson, Stephen Hill, Simon Hodges, Sam Hollingsworth, Matthew Houliston, Darren Howard, Paul Ingerson, Robert Jewell, Andy John, Jessica Jones, and Christopher Joyce. The music is by Dave Gates, the artwork by Dylan Patterson. You want to be on that list of sexy people? You just have to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock. Tiers start from as little as £3 a month. You get a 10% discount if you commit to a year. Um, but that's taken all in one go and then you forget about it. Uh, and there are all sorts of goodies. Advanced material, bonus releases, exclusives, um, special access, all sorts of things. I don't like the sound of special access, actually. No, I've said it out loud. I mean, you you know, you can type me a couple of things. Uh, that's, that's as much access as is permitted. Um, uh, but look, if you can't, do the monthly thing and I totally understand that times are really tough and I'm just very grateful to you all for listening and I'm you know I hope if times are tough this is uh, this is helping to divert you from that fact um, but look if I don't know you get a windfall um, or I say something that you particularly enjoy uh, you can go over to ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydock and uh, you know pop in whatever you like there really uh, but what costs you nothing is to go to iTunes or wherever you get to your podcasts from and to give these five stars that really helps to separate us from the crowd and perhaps a couple of lines of review saying what you like about this if if you don't like anything i mean if you don't like anything and you're still listening now you're a glutton for punishment and it's your fault uh but uh, if you do like it please say what you like about it to try and lure people into this corner of cyberspace where they can find me wittering on um so yeah any of those things that costs you absolutely nothing and i'd be really grateful it helps Uh, follow me on Twitter at Toby Haydoke and these podcasts have their own feed at Haydoke Podcasts. Give them a follow as well. Uh, just all helps to sort of boost the profile. And uh, you can go to my comedy club, Excess Malarkey Comedy Club in Manchester, uh, every Tuesday. Uh, and there's an online show at twitch.tv forward slash Excess Malarkey on the first Sunday of every month. And you can enjoy that from your own home and for nothing. Although, again, we do take donations uh, should you be able to give them. So this morning, as I record this, the you know the top and tail, not the actual um, uh, episode commentary, which I recorded uh, the day of uh, the new Doctor announcement. But I've been responding to that this morning on BBC Breakfast, and I, I, I patted myself on the back because they asked me to dress up. I mean, I dressed as I do, but they, I think they'd wanted me to bring in a variety of costumes, um, and I. And, and to bring in some props. And I got furious because would, they wouldn't ask somebody who was going in to discuss Agatha Christie or cars to dress up to fulfil some sort of stereotype they might have on a public service broadcaster. And I was you, I, I, I was rehearsing all sorts of things like that to say. And instead, I just opted for a when she said, oh, did you bring in any props? I just went, um, no, I think I think you'll be fine, you know, with with with, with me speaking and and. You know, I said it better than this, actually, at the time, which is surprising. But, you know, I just I just very politely went, yeah, no, I won't be doing that. And you don't need me to. And uh, 
Abby Morgan, who writes The Split, was there waiting to go on next. She went, that was a bit of a weird question. And I went, yeah, it's a... Yeah, we still get stereotyped. They still have an image that they want to perpetuate. But I contained my fury because there's no point in getting angry. And as you'll have noticed from the, you know, the positive stuff, I'm not a naturally positive person. I'm, my glass is half empty. And I've usually been given the glass when having glass uh, is suddenly made illegal. Uh, <laughs> holding glassware <laughs> means that you will have a frustrating career. That law is passed the minute somebody passes me my glass, which I then empty half of. Uh, but... Um, um, but, you know, yeah, I try. I try with the positive thing. And I know there's nothing to be gained by Fury, which is why I don't engage in Twitter spats and uh, Facebook. And I ignore those comments. And there are a couple on, on, on Twitter where people at you in as well to start trying to cause an argument that you're going, hang on, why, why, why have you done this on my feed? I, you don't even follow me. And you've suddenly added somebody else in. And, and, ah, um to have you know a conversation that's absolutely nothing to do with me or, or not based on anything I've said, um, and I and I prime myself because you wanna you wanna write it you wanna respond. I go no, it's fine. Just keep calm and and you know pride yourself that you don't get involved. And then my brother put something stupid on my Facebook and I, I disappeared into my cupboard to record these bits because I'm so furious. I actually did put quite a furious um, reply. And my brother, I love my brother. He's a he's a good bloke, uh, but but he's. Uh, he likes a debate and he's very much a sort of pragmatist when it comes to debate as he will, you know, assume a position just to sort of provoke a response. And so he gets into all sorts of sort of gun control and hunting debates with the mad people on online from both sides of the argument. And he quite enjoys that tussle. I don't. I go onto social media to escape from the daily grind um, and, and, to, and to not have to you know, spend my energy you know, wrangling a debate. That's not what I'm that's not what I'm there for. Um, so, so I, I gave him. I didn't give him short shrift. I gave him quite long shrift. But there was some swearing involved, and it, it has. It's made me cross. So, um, why am I telling you this? Because I don't really think you're there. I know some of you are there, and uh, well, it's it's useful catharsis, isn't it? To uh, to, uh, but it's just not. It's just not helpful. I could have a perfectly reasonable conversation with my my brother about it, but because it's written down, and because then it takes an effort to write it down, and then you put something you think is a particularly well argued sentence, and then you noticed autocorrect has made it seem like gobbledygook. So then you have to go back and do it. I find all that extremely frustrating. And as I say, I'm just sort of on social media to share Doctor Who facts and dick about. Um, so I, you know, physician here, they said, I must remember not to get cross, but I got cross. And the thing is, he didn't even mean half what he says. He just likes the cut and thrust of debate. But um, it's quite a tedious debate, often um, initiated by. Well, I did use the phrase on um, uh, BBC Breakfast. What did I say? I said uh, self-appointed grifters who monetize umbrage for Twitter hearts, which I was quite pleased with. I wasn't so pleased with the rest of it, but that bit was all right. Anyway, thank you for listening, the five of you who are, and I'm sorry, normal service will be resumed as soon as possible. And as I say, I do love my brother. I'd never tell him that either. Um, but, um, yeah, I was cross about that. Uh, anyway, this is my private little this is like my it is actually like a confessional booth in here so you you are like the priest on the other side so just tell me to say 10 hail marys i'll i'll go away <laughs>